This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, hello there and happy Monday. This is Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan. However, Ryan unfortunately isn't in today, so you just have me. Well, buckle up. You're in for a wild ride. I just got back from a birthday weekend and it was fabulous. I did a little road trip to Zion National Park with my boyfriend. <laughs> Producer Vanessa is here. I'm not just talking to myself Hi, in the studio. Everyone. Although, by the way, radio shows do that all the time, so it wouldn't be that weird. <laughs> it just is weird because usually it's like a party in here. It's still a party. What are it you is. talking about? It so is how was your birthday, Shira? Thank you. Producer Vanessa. <laughs> I'm just hyping her up. I'm hyping myself y- yes. up. Yes. Um, Producer Vanessa, thank you for asking you. and acknowledging my birthday. Uh, but, you know, it was just nice to get away. It was nice to not be on my laptop, on my phone. I encourage everyone, if you're feeling burnt out, and we're going to be talking more about that on the show and saying no at work. <laughs> Although, of course, uh, Program Director Brian, my boss... I don't say no to you. I only say yes. (laughs) Uh, And uh, yeah, but I I just think it's really important to take that break because then you have renewed energy so you can approach the things you want to do. So that is just very important. You got to know yourself and know when it's time for you to take that break. If you can, it's a privilege. But even if you can take an afternoon or the weekend or a night, something for you alone, it doesn't need to be with people. It's so important in nature. Nature is the best healer, I swear. That's like, that's it. I was feeling anxious in my head. Get out there in the mountains. No, thank you. (laughs) I mean, you're either one of those people or you're not. But sometimes it's like you just got to take baby steps, baby steps. (laughs) We've got a lot coming up on the show today. Comedian Nikki Paris joins us to discuss Elon Musk on SNL and more. We've got those highlights from the weekend. And the U.S. will protect gay and transgender people against discrimination in healthcare. More on that in 30 minutes. Again, DM us at any time throughout the show. Say hi at LGT Shows, where you can find us on social media. Right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. President Joe Biden said his administration will distribute more coronavirus relief funds as it aims to help companies hire more workers. While he urged companies to boost wages and make workplaces safe to entice workers, he also warned for those who didn't take those jobs given. We're going to make it clear that anyone collecting unemployment who is offered a suitable job must take the job or lose their unemployment benefits. There are a few COVID-19 related exceptions, so that people aren't forced to choose between their basic safety 
and a paycheck. But otherwise, that's the law. Yeah, job growth has slowed in April, and Biden disputed the notion that a $300 per week enhanced unemployment benefit was stopping Americans from taking jobs. And with no Republicans signed on for now, Democrats, unfortunately, are unlikely to win the 60 votes needed to pass the Equality Act, potentially putting it in limbo indefinitely. Republicans are saying that the Equality Act would open the floodgates for transgender girls and women to play on female sports teams and hurt others' chances to compete. And while the bill does not explicitly mention those things, they say extending the protections to gender identity would eliminate private spaces, they're calling it, for cisgender women, including sports teams. And let's move on to our favorite Dr. Anthony Fauci, White House Chief Medical Advisor. He said Sunday that people may wear masks during certain seasons when respiratory illnesses are more prevalent. So it means masks are here to stay, you know, seasonally. He said we've had practically a non-existent flu season this year, which is uh, good. His comments come less than a month after the Biden administration announced a relaxation of federal guidance on wearing masks outdoors. And this is why, you know, I opt for the um, the mask, the ho- kind of the hospital-looking mask. Those, those cloth masks, right? The blue ones. Yeah, the blue ones. <laughs> or I actually have different colors. Like, I have a bright pink one, neon. But I think masks are going to become more fashionable if this becomes a thing we just need to have in our wardrobe. I haven't gone as far as to match my masks with my outfit as much. I think that's the next stage. Let's move on to some tea, some entertainment news for y'all. Okay. Are you ready for Benifer? That's right. 17 years after calling off their engagement, Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck are going, it seems like from friendly exes to something more. (laughs) Uh, This is according to many sources who are telling, I don't know, all these entertainment outlets this. Uh, They appeared separately at this Vax Live concert in LA on Sunday. Uh, May 2nd. That was last week. And then they jetted off together to the Yellowstone Club in Montana. Seems like we have something in common. We both jetted off to uh, the wilderness. Benifer, me and Chris, Shris, (laughs) and Benifer. That's funny. Well, they vacationed together there for about a week. They were alone, the source says. Just the two of them. Wonder what they were doing alone. And this comes, of course, after Jennifer broke up with A-Rod. They were together for four years and engaged. Quickly jumped back to the past. Nostalgia relationships are real, though. You know, I'm not going to get mad at her because of this. Because I've done this before, too. You break up in a long-term relationship. Usually the first person, including as you get older, you go back to your exes. And if you've done this... Please let us know. I haven't done this. You've not gone back. That's a lie. We've all done it. (laughs) The weird part is, though, I did this once with an ex. uh, And then he just started treating me like I was just a hookup chick. And I was like, we were in a relationship for two years. This is weird. What do you expect? Of course you're just a hookup person. I know. It was weird, though. It messed with my head. It messed with my head. Uh, Yeah. Let us know if you've uh, gone back to an ex in between a breakup. And maybe this is long term. Who knows? At LGT Show again is where you can find us on social media. Slide into our DMs. But coming up, while things seem better in the U.S., the rest of the world is struggling and the tragedy of COVID-19 continues, leaving many to wonder, what's the plan? We've got some of those answers next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q.
Global allies want more clarity on how the U.S. plans to share its resources and especially its growing vaccine stockpile as virus is uh, surging internationally and crippling, crippling India and other countries that collectively reported more than five million cases in the past week. So uh, sad what is happening there. We want some answers. Dr. Michael Sag is back with us, who's an infectious diseases expert. Thanks for being here. Oh, hey, Dr. Sag, are you there? Hey, yeah, I'm here. So we've, of course, talked to you so much about how the vaccine was distributed in the U.S., how we've dealt with this, and it seems like things are going pretty well. What is your take on what's happening internationally and how the U.S. is going to help here? We, as you indicated, have a lot of hot pockets of endemic infection all around the world. India is the most dramatic right now. But, you know, there's an old adage in infectious diseases that we haven't eliminated a virus anywhere until we've eliminated it everywhere. And like you said, we have an awful lot of success here in the United States, a lot of good fortune with the vaccine rolling out and so many people participating, and that needs to continue. But it's time that we now turn our sights towards other areas of the world, and India would be a prime place for us to immediately intervene and get vaccine product to them as fast as we can. And is there enough? Like, do we have enough resources to help and create enough change at this point for a place like India? Well, there's three things. One is that we have more than enough vaccine for the United States now. We should be all set to go, and we can continue to vaccinate the population. Just about five minutes ago, the FDA approved Pfizer's vaccine for those between the ages of 12 and 15, so we can move on and get uh, younger people vaccinated, adolescents. Uh, So that's the first thing. We'll continue. We'll be fine. The second thing is Whatever additional stockpile that we have, and we do have some, we should start distributing to other countries. And the third thing, especially in the case of India, and I believe the the current Biden administration allowed this, is to grant permits or permission for them to have patent rights to produce generic vaccine out of India. And that'll increase the global supply, but especially the supply in India. The problem with that is, of course, that they can't just do that tomorrow. So it's going to take several months to get that ramped up. But that's something they should start working on right now. and will help out a lot, not only in India, but also around the world as we try to get other areas vaccinated. Definitely, because isn't somewhere like India, like, aren't vaccines... Are, uh, the ingredients, aren't they being produced there and outsourced, but then they're not there to actually help that country? Yeah, I, I think that's happening. I don't know the details on that, but, um, you know, when, when vaccine is produced and it's purchased by a country, then, of course, that country who purchased the vaccine uh, wants it delivered to them. But if it's being if it's being generated in another country right now under the patent of either Pfizer or Moderna or J&J, that ownership uh, typically goes to the company. What the Biden administration has now pushed for is release of the patent protection for those vaccine products to the other parts, uh, to other uh, manufacturing areas around the world that can be make it such as India. Yeah. And and I heard that they also need more oxygen tanks, the PPE, um, oh. more than vaccines. And, and how can the U.S. help with that? 
Yeah, we need to get whatever we can in terms of those types of supplies. I mean, what what never happened here that we were worried about running out of PPE. We didn't worry about so much running out of oxygen, but running out of hospital beds. India, they're running out of all of that. And oxygen is the most difficult for me to even think about because what you have is someone who maybe even was admitted to the hospital. One of the main things we do for people who need hospitalization is give them supplemental oxygen. And if you don't have that, then you just watch somebody, I hate to be so gross, kind of suffocate right in front of you. It's horrific. So this is a disaster happening. This is a crisis right now. Yes, uh, it is. What will happen here? It just seems like it's too little too late. There, there needs to be more time, but time's not on anyone's side. No, it, it, it is it is too little and too late for some people, but this is not going to end in India anytime soon. So whatever we can do now to mobilize resources and get them there, all of that is, would be very welcome right now. And we just need to keep pushing on this. This is a humanitarian crisis beyond our ability to comprehend. It is yeah. horrific. I was going to just say, as we wrap up, do you think there's a lot of pressure for the Biden administration and Biden to make a move quickly in order to establish his global leadership? Yeah, I think this is a, a time for exactly that word, leadership, engagement. And for those who might be listening to say, well, what what's our obligation here? Well, first off, it's humanitarian. But secondly, not stopping epidemics as they occur elsewhere does put us the United States at risk as well, because we've talked about variants a lot on this program, but unchecked viral replication in a population is a recipe for development of variants. And so far, we've all been very lucky that the variants that have emerged out of South Africa, UK, etc., that those variants are still uh, neutralized by the immune system response to our vaccinations here. Uh, Given enough time, it's it's possible, if not likely, that unchecked viral replication in populations can produce variants that may not be as readily neutralized by the immune response to our vaccine. So we have an imperative on many levels to get this done. Definitely. Well, thank you, as always, for joining us for this. Good to be back with you. That was infectious diseases expert Dr. Michael Sag. Coming up on the show, how the administration is looking to protect the LGBTQ plus community against discrimination in healthcare. Their announcement they made today. That's next with Lambda Legal. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Today, the Biden administration announced that gay and transgender people will be protected from discrimination in health care. This reverses a Trump-era rule that went into effect last year. Back with us is Sasha Brooker, a senior attorney at Lambda Legal. Thanks for being here. Oh, sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me on your program again. Yes. So is this a precursor to the Equality Act and the fear of it not being passed? Like, how important was this today? Oh, yeah, it was huge. I mean, it, it, you know, the, the, the Trump administration had issued rulemaking that argued basically that the Affordable Care Act doesn't uh, prohibit discrimination against LGBT people. And that was completely inconsistent with existing law. It was just completely their own interpretation that was divorced from any kind of case law. And they did it right after the Bostock decision, you know, the Supreme Court decision clarifying that LGBT people are protected against the law. And they did it in the middle of the pandemic. It was issued last June, you know, this rulemaking. So what happened today was that the, the Health and Human Services Agency 
uh, clarified that no, that we're going to stick with what the law actually says, and, and clarified that this this applies for healthcare. Um, you know, and court after court, even aside from the Supreme Court, has repeatedly held that LGBT people are protected under the law. I mean, as far as the Equality Act goes, yeah, it's really helpful. You know, uh, and you know, clarifying for you know um, uh, everyone in the country that that LGBT people are protected, and that you know we need to go one step further though and have those explicit protections. But this was really helpful today because. You know, it's a clear message to both LGBTQ people and healthcare providers that, you know, this is discrimination that, you know, won't be tolerated. So what happens in states like Alabama and others who are creating these bills that make it illegal for doctors to help trans youth? Yeah, I mean, that's really a great question. You know, the Alabama is considering, you know, a bill that's trying to prohibit health care for, for trans youth. And Arkansas passed one, you know, a few weeks ago. Uh, so this is, you know, really a clear signal to them, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, that the federal law, you know, um, uh, overrides state law. So if a state decides to pass a, a discriminatory law that is unconstitutional and, and violates federal law, that there will be, you know, a cause of action, you know, under the Affordable Care Act. You know, that would have been the case anyway, even even if the Trump uh, uh, administrative rule had been in effect because the you know the law trumps regulations, but this is helpful. You know, courts give a lot of deference to you know regulations and agency interpretations of their own regulations, and so this will be helpful in in any litigation that moves forward. You know, in response to you know those those horrible bills and you know bills that are just meant to inflict so much harm and solve a and seek to solve a, a problem that, you know, is not an issue, you know, that people, all people are doing is getting the health care that they need. Can you imagine having a, you know, a child who, you know, has a condition and, and told by everyone in the medical community, including the American Medical Association and the American Academy for Pediatrics, that this is the best care that is available, you know, based on all of the research that we have, and then have some state legislator come along and say, oh, we're going to, we're going to deny you that specific mm. treatment, you know, so it's just uh, heinous you know, what's happening in states like Alabama and Arkansas. Yeah. So then do families and youth um, and advocates then in those states, um, are they, like, does that make this these bills moot at this point? Well, I mean, no, because they'll have to work through the, you know, the, their, their state law. So they're not they're not moot, you know, even though that, you know, the federal law overrides state law for sure. But it, it clarifies for, you know, those 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 families and and uh, it's so disrespectful to parents, too, but, but they'll have, you know, an ability to file complaints with the Office of Civil Rights at the Health and Human Services Agency, and they should do that if they're being denied care and, and providers are citing this law. You know, they certainly should move forward with a complaint, you know, that this is, um, uh, violates the Affordable Care Act's prohibition against uh, discrimination on the basis of sex. You know, it certainly gives them a, a, a cause of action. Yeah, well, thank you so much for all these updates. And it's very good news. An early Yaz Queen on the show, but so much more needs to be done. Uh, thank you again, Sasha Bookert, Senior Attorney at Lambda Legal. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you, too. Coming up on the show, Elon Musk's SNL appearance, why he supposedly made history. We'll be back in two minutes. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Tesla founder and CEO Elon Musk hosted SNL this weekend, delivering the traditional opening monologue, making history for the show, as well as a bunch of bits. But here's that opening. It's an honor to be hosting Saturday Night Live. I mean that. Sometimes after I say something, I have to say I mean that. (laughs) So people really know that I mean it. That's because I don't always have a lot of intonation or variation in how I speak. 
which I'm told makes for great comedy. <laughs> I'm actually making history tonight as the first person with Asperger's to host SNL. <laughs> Or at least the first to admit it. <laughs> so I won't make a lot of eye contact with the cast tonight. So there you go. That was Elon Musk making his debut as host of SNL. With us right now is stand-up comedian Nikki Paris. Thanks for joining Woo! us today. Thank you for having me. And, and Shira, I was glued to the TV on Saturday night. Were you? Is this, is this like the first time this year or this decade you watched SNL? So it, it definitely is new. And, and, and here's the thing. I love that Elon. First of all, he's not the first person with Asperger's to, hold SN, to host SNL. He's actually the second. Yes. So not a lot of people know that. But I just thought it was really funny that he worked that in. And I think that if I ever bomb, I'm going to start bringing in that I'm dyslexic. I don't think people know it, but I'm going to bank it in case I have a monologue that I have to that doesn't go well. I, don't I, know. I, I, I mean, mean it, it makes it much more accessible. I think everyone... Uh, it, Listen, he caused a lot of controversy with the fact that he was even hosting. Yeah. So it almost like he needed a redeeming factor to, for him doing it. Do you have Dogecoin? I don't. I missed out. Is my life okay, ruined so now? I don't think you did. But I'd like to give you a quick story, if, if, if possible. Okay. Guys, I know you love him. Gay icon Danny Francesi called yes. me Thursday, and he was like, you have to invest in Dogecoin. Um, I listen to everything Danny says. I listen to him on the jazzling. Why stop now? So I invested in Dogecoin. I lost hundreds of dollars. Um, Danny, I forgive you. But I, Shira, I thought that I'd be sitting on the Grecian coast today eating lobster. And now I can't even afford pet lobster. I so. mean, that's real. By the way, you're bringing up uh, something real because Dogecoin tanked. This is this cryptocurrency uh, that Elon Musk <laughs> got everyone to buy. And then basically he called it out on the show and then it lost all the money. Yeah. So I'm calling to you from my tent on the corner of Melrose. I expect you to visit me and drop me off a snack because I'm hungry. And I hope that Dogecoin comes back around. Um, I, Shira, I'm stressed about this. I can't even keep track of paper money. Now you expect me to keep track of everything digitally? It's just not possible. It is a lot. But, you know, as a comedian, I wanted to know what you thought of someone like Elon Musk hosting. Is this the end of SNL? You know, uh, Lauren Michaels is being called out because he, of course, brought on Donald Trump, which was really problematic. And now someone like Elon Musk, who has been called out as problematic. Are, are people getting too sensitive? Is he doing the right thing? Lauren Michaels doing something like this? Because I lost the money, I think that he shouldn't have ever been on it. Um, that's my take financially. In terms of comedians, you know, Elon Musk, Musk is huge. He's a big name, you know, and it's controversial. We're talking about it, and it's a business. So listen to me, Lauren Michaels. He is watching his bank account grow. I think this was a right move for the show in terms of business. I mean, like I said, I watched. Okay, there you go. So you're not going to cancel SNL yet. Not yet. <laughs> Nikki's like, I want to be on it. Come on. <laughs> yes, I don't want, I, I'm waiting for my George point to come back up. So <laughs> Exactly. Well, stand-up comedian Nikki Paris will be joining us in the next hour as we continue weird news here on Let's Go There. Remember, you can see him in Las Vegas at the Laugh Factory end of June, which is amazing. Woo! Uh, now coming up on the show, Orange is the new black alum and trans icon Laverne Cox has a big new job. More details next on What's Trending This Hour. 
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Welcome back to the show. This is Let's Go There, where we catch you up on the news of the day weekdays here on Channel Q. Ryan is out, so you've got me. But we are having a blast today, starting the week off right. Coming up this hour, how activism can, can improve your sex life. I'm down for anything that can improve my sex life, but it's much better when you feel like it's for a greater purpose, right? <laughs> I mean, that's a turn on. Maybe that's it. Uh, that's coming up in 30 minutes. Plus, actress and trans leader Laverne Cox's new job announcement. I'm bringing you that tea in a moment. But right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber and Emerging Technologies, Ann Neuberger, says that the U.S. Treasury is working on their own virtual money. To combat the exploitation of virtual currencies that are often used for payment in ransomware, the U.S. Treasury has also been leading international efforts, including driving and adoption of virtual asset standards under the Financial Action Task Force. So without saying it, she was basically like, all you crypto users, we see you. If you're doing any sketchy stuff, something's going to happen. That's basically what she was saying without saying the crypto. They're like virtual currency. That's cryptocurrency. FYI, if you're wondering. Speaking of a virtual currency that's kind of not real. I mean, are any of them real? But Dogecoin. Uh, Elon Musk's SpaceX, they've announced they're going to launch... The Doge One mission to the moon in the first quarter of 2022. I don't even really understand what that means, to be honest. I feel like we need someone to explain it. Um, The company is accepting the meme-inspired cryptocurrency as payment. So you could basically pay using Dogecoin for this mission to the moon. SpaceX Vice President of Commercial Sales... This guy, Tom Oshinero, said that Doge One will demonstrate the application of cryptocurrency beyond Earth orbit and set the foundation for interplanetary commerce. Once again, kind of don't understand what he's talking about, but it seems cool. Uh, Musk previously announced the company's plans in a tweet on April Fool's Day. So you're, you're thinking to yourself like, oh, this is all a joke, right? It continues to be real, though. Now I'm confused again. Uh, He had said then on April Fool's Day, SpaceX is going to put a literal Dogecoin on the literal moon. Well, it seems like he wasn't joking and it's all becoming reality. Once again, like I know that like what's the point of reporting about this? But yet we're so intrigued, like it's become so mainstream. And I actually do want to know more about this. Like, what does this actually mean? I want someone to break it down or do we not give it more attention because it's all fake money? Monopoly money. But it's real money. But it's real money. People no, but it's real lot. money, even real money. Well, yeah, because people <laughs> put their real dollars into this. I don't know if you have friends posting about the fact that they uh, bought Dogecoin. Now it's all the way down. People crying on Instagram. It's getting real. My friends are not that cool with that the crypto money. But I'm not even talking about my crypto friends. These are like my regular friends. No offense, my regular friends. You know, the people that wouldn't typically be into this. And they're like, oh, they thought they got a ton of money and then they lost a bunch overnight. Just be careful with your money. 
Uh, now, we want to give a big congrats in the T-Report to Laverne Cox, the Orange is the New Black alum, is making her way to the red carpet. She's going to host live from the red carpet on E! Taking over for the departing of Juliana Rancic. The network announced this today. Her award season coverage will begin in 2022. She will also host celebrity interview specials that will air in the coming year. She said this, uh, I'm so excited, deeply humbled to be hosting E's iconic red carpet coverage. For many years, I would wake up early on award show days, get my snacks in place and watch E's coverage all day long. I hear you, girl. Me too. I dreamed of walking red carpets, which obviously she has, and now she gets to create her own moments beyond even just walking the carpet. I can't wait to get started while hopefully serving up fashion fantasies for the ages, honey, which is so cool. And I also wonder if she's going to become the first trans host to do this. I mean, at a major network level, I don't know anyone else who uh, who's trans who me has... neither but being devil's advocate how I feel like this is what Ryan would say and this is what I'm saying okay producer Vanessa she's an actress okay she's an actress and I feel like she has so many opportunities in that space yeah, and yet she's taking away opportunities for other trans women to uh, that are hostess like our very own trans Giselle yep. to be a host for like E or entertainment spaces like she's already an actress like I feel that it's like I'm stay happy in your lane. for her. I'm truly I am happy for her, but also I feel like they should have been a little bit more creative by looking at other personalities that are, is, are in the I, field. I agree. Bling, bling. But Laverne Cox is a name, and that type of representation is huge. And she has done a bit of hosting. True, we don't know her as a Ryan Seacrest. But you know, you think just because she's acting in huge things, like she has that coin coming every day. I don't she has I, to have You don't coin. know that. Let her get more coin. Uh, right. I think this is an interesting move. <laughs> and that it's really important for the community and um she she will kill it, I have no doubt. Now the question is who's gonna replace Ryan Seacrest as well. Lots of, I think Karamo is replaced we got two queer hosts I think they announced Karamo doing E or they used him and so me and Ryan were actually talking about how Karamo might be the guy I'm not mad at that because okay. Karamo is a personality He's yeah he was actually actor. a host exactly oddly enough he was a host but also like a life coach which is also hmm. hey I play in those worlds although I'm not I just pretend to be a life coach I like helping people out myself. Uh, But that was uh, What's Trending This Hour and some tea for y'all more in the next hour right here on Let's Go There. But coming up, the secret to avoiding burnout is, well, we'll tell you what it is next. Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. You know, we've been talking about burnout a lot. We've talked about it on the show and different solutions. Uh, but we really want to talk about the power of no in that. And why is it that just saying no could help you avoid burnout? With us right now is Dr. Agu, psychiatrist and founder of the Minds Foundation. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Shira. It's great to be here. Uh, so with all these conversations about burnout, and we even have these conversations on air, off air, is it helping us normalize these conversations in the workplace too? Or do you think we're moving or progressing? Or is it just like we keep having these conversations and getting nowhere? So, you know, I think that there's definitely more and more conversations happening around burnout in the workplace. However, you know, a conversation is one thing. Taking action and companies actually making steps to change it and to value the wellness and well-being of their employees is another thing. Um And, you know, particularly this past year, the boundaries between work and home and 
all aspects of our life have sort of meshed. And so expectations have really changed and what people are expected to do when they're expected to show up for meetings and how much they can really handle uh, in their workplace. So saying no is a powerful thing to do. How do you do that? Like, what's the balance with uh, holding up your responsibilities and following through, but then also when to know when to create that boundary? Right. I mean, that's a really, really difficult question you pose because I personally still struggle with it. But, you know, the thing that you really need to start, one needs to really start to evaluate is, Am I really giving 100% to this task or am I tipping the scale and I'm taking on too much and I'm really not giving my 100% to it and it's probably better for me to to actually say no initially and explain that I just don't have the bandwidth or the commitment to give right now and to maybe reassess it at a different time period. Uh, you know, that's one approach to it. Uh-huh. The second approach is to really come back and figure out what is important to me and what is meaningful to me? And does this really fall in that category? Or is it something extra that I feel obligated to say yes to because, you know, a friend asked me to do it, or I see myself being validated by something like this, or I might gain business in the future from it. But it's really coming back to yourself and asking, is this meaningful to me? And will that bring me happiness? Yeah. Oh, my God. You bring up so many good points and filters. And I I think the scarcity mindset and, um, you know, the fear of missing out is a big part of it. Like, what if this opportunity won't come again? Or what if this will create another opportunity? And you're always kind of looking out for the future and like what that could be versus the fact that this thing might suck. (laughs) Right, exactly. And if you just say yes to everything and you pile on your schedule, it leaves no energy for yourself. And That's actually, you know, having the energy and the time for yourself is when true, valuable growth happens. And you can bring yourself in that with that mindset of passion and commitment and having grown and having learned in your space and in your time. And you just bring that much more to the projects that you do say yes to. Yeah, you know, I agree with this. How do you say no? And for me, because I I have a background of people pleasing and that kind of validation saying no is hard because then I feel like they're not going to come back to me or I'm going to disappoint people. How do you get over that? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that especially when, you know, friends or acquaintances ask you for something and you say yes. And oftentimes it's, you know, unpaid or you really do stretch yourself. I do feel that the conversation around burnout has gotten to a point where, most people, especially this year, will probably understand, right, if you're saying no and why you're saying no and that you just don't have the time. And at the end of the day, you really have to figure out, am I doing this to help someone else feel better while taking away from myself or am I doing this for myself to feel better? And to really just pause and realize that, you know, validation for yourself is not going to come from anyone except yourself. And it's not going to come from saying yes to projects and piling it on. It's going to come from you actually leaving time to take care of yourself and to do those things. And so, you know, getting over the fact of disappointing people, it's like, you know, if they really care about you and they value your time and respect your time, they're not going to be offended by you saying no. Yeah. You could almost become addicted to saying yes. 
right? So you don't know anything else. I, I think it's so important. And it's not about saying no and being rude about it. It's about being honest and like doing it with love and communicating it. Right. I'm, I'm, I have a boss here, but I'm also a boss. And I, I, I feel like as long as you provide solutions and you kind of learn how to delegate and you come to that person with a solution or maybe some sort of alternative, then it shows that you're being helpful versus just like cutting something off or an opportunity right. off or someone off. Yeah. And you can say no. And you can say, you know, I, I don't necessarily have the time or bandwidth or energy right now, but hey, I want to introduce you yeah. to this other person or this other employee that. I think would really thrive on this project. Totally. And in that way, you might actually help somebody else grow. Love it. Dr. Regu, you're the best. Love having you here. Thank you, Shira. It's been great. <laughs> that was uh, Dr. Regu, a psychiatrist and founder of the Minds Foundation. Coming up on the show, how activism could make the world and also your sex life better. Tell me more. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Are you into social justice changing the world? Well, it might also be improving your sex life, too. Love it. Win-win. Joining us right now is Chanel Gallant, a queer activist who's been working at the intersections of sex and social justice for over two decades. Uh, And also, she has appeared in dozens of publications, including Pleasure Activism and Beyond Survival, Stories and Strategies from the Transformative Justice Movement. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Shira. I'm so happy to be here. Yes. Well, I love this topic. And in this article that you're featured in, they talk about the sexual and political revolution of the 1970s and what it meant for the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, Tell us more about that and how it's informed where we're at today. Uh, I mean, that was kind of one of my inspirations for writing this column. So I approached this queer magazine Extra and said, you know, I want to... Uh, write this column that uh, gets us to go back to the basics of our queer and trans elders who understood sexual freedom as connected to these much larger struggles for human freedom, you know, connected to struggles against racism, capitalism, patriarchy, and so on. And so that was kind of the inspiration, actually, for the column was, you know, having done 20 years of work around sexuality and social justice, I saw that the way we were approaching sexual liberation was often very narrow, and I didn't think it was getting us free. That's so interesting. And and so is there a change happening now? I mean, it seems like when we look back, there were movements mm-hmm. in the past, and it felt very liberated, but I guess in hindsight, it was still limiting. Well, you know, it's interesting because if we go back to the 80s, you know, we saw the AIDS epidemic take center stage in queer politics at the time. But then and now you can see how political sexual freedom is Mm. and how it's actually really about whose lives are valued. And that's what's interesting to me. Like during, you know, we can compare it to this pandemic where we've seen such a huge difference it makes when the government actually takes lives seriously. Um, You know, back in the 80s, the government could have declared AIDS an emergency. Mm. They could have poured this funding into scientific research, into peer-led, you know, education and safer sex campaigns, and they didn't. They didn't because they just didn't really value the lives of the people who were dying of AIDS. Um, and instead, we got homophobia, and, you know, queers being um, targeted for their sexuality, when really it just actually wasn't the government doing its job. And so this, to me, is a great example about how all along sex is always connected to whose lives are valued. And yeah, that looks different now. It looks different in 2021 where 
Uh, you know, we've got a political landscape where trans people are enormously under attack in a way that is really un- uh, unprecedented. But the principle is still the, the same, which is that um, sexual liberation is always related to a kind of whose life is considered worthy. Mm, yeah. And, and there's so much more work that needs to be done if that's how we're looking at it, obviously. So when I feel like I use the buzz term, you know, when I said activism can improve our sex lives, yeah. uh, what yeah. does that actually mean when we look at it like this? Right. I'm so glad you asked because that's exactly what I'm writing about. So, you know, <clears throat> the kind of the argument that I want to explore over the, the course of these, these six um, columns is that if we want to free sexuality, we have to free the people, right? We have to ensure that actually all life is valued and resourced. And how do we do that? Well, we need to fight for that. So, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, just to give you an example, like people at the top of the hierarchy, they have all kinds of sexual freedoms, right? They have access to the kind of sex they want. Um, They're not sexually stereotyped. They're very unlikely to be sexually harassed at work because their life is just considered more valuable. And so for me, the relationship between sex and activism is if we want sex to be free for everyone, then we have to make, um, we have to eliminate those hierarchies. We have to address things like racism and, you know, our capitalist economy that exploits people as a terrible immigration system, um, sexism that devalues women, because all of those tell us that some people are less worthy and then those people get robbed of control over their sexualities. And the way we fix that is through activism. Activism is the way we deal with those big structural problems because I see activism as the way that people who are directly targeted by a problem come together and fight back. And that's where I think the, the solution to the problems are, is the, the people who are directly impacted by it. Yeah. And and when there's freedom for all, when we all feel safe in our own skin and with each other, we can be more ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, for me, that's that's kind of the cool thing about sexual liberation, as I understand it, is that it's not that we all have sex or we don't have sex or we even enjoy sex. It's actually kind of neutral on that. It's that we get to be in charge of our own bodies. We get to decide what kind of sex we want or don't want. And we don't have that right now. Right now, we have a world with a lot of sexual harm in it. And LGBTQ people are at a much higher risk of being sexually harassed. Um, abusive kids and sexually assaulted. And those are big problems that are about the structural oppression of LGBTQ people, uh, but oppression across the board too, you know? So I'm going to look at migrant justice in the, in the thing, uh, in my column. I'm going to look at defunding the police. I'm going to look at indigenous sovereignty. Uh, I'm going to look at disability justice and how all of those are actually related to freeing our sexualities. Well, this is uh, so important, and there's so much more we can talk about in terms of this conversation. Where can people find this column? Um, it is that it is um, published on Extra Magazine, which is spelled X-T-R-A, so there's no E at the beginning. So, Or you can just go to, you can find me on Twitter, and I'm just at Chanel Gallant. There you uh, or go. extramagazine.com. But yeah, go find me on Twitter, at Chanel Gallant, and I'll be posting all of the... Uh, all of the columns there. Love it. Well, we hope to have you back to continue this. Thanks, Shira. It was, it, was a, it was great chatting with you. Yes, you too. You're great. That was Chanel Gallant, queer activist. Go check out her work, extramagazine.com. You heard it. Now coming up, comedian uh, Nikki Paris is back with us to talk about Fox News' problematic Mother's Day. Oh, that's next. 
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. The Fox and Friends host spent Sunday morning celebrating Mother's Day by worrying about Democrats and how they wanted to rename it Birthing People's Day. Let's get to another topic today. It is Happy Mother's Day, but if you're a lefty, it might be Happy Birthing People's Day. Uh, seriously, this is Democrats. The new phrase they want to use is you're not a mother. No more moms. Nope. Done. You're a birthing person. Here's a couple of Democrats talking about that. I am committed to doing the absolute most to protect black mothers, to protect black babies, to protect black birthing people and to save lives. Birthing people? Well, Representative Nancy Mace weighed in on that on Twitter. She said, birthing people, you mean women or moms? Back with us is stand-up comedian Nikki Paris. I mean, how how transphobic and homophobic is this? What do you think? Is uh, Are we ready so to much. finally embrace birthing person? Which we, we have to understand why they say this. People say this. It's to be inclusive. And Fox just continues to like dig the hole. Sure. When I first heard the news, I just feel like we're finally inching closer culturally that my mother is the devil. <laughs> I thought that this was it. I was like, it's, she's a birthing person. Maybe she's not my mother. So, you know, I think if you identify as a female, obviously say Mother's Day. If you don't, it's birthing day. Whatever you celebrate, just be grateful that they were able to stitch back your genitals. Exactly. Priorities. Right? Right? <laughs> I mean... How problematic is this, though, because it continues, I feel like, to uh, create a division, right? And a narrative of, like, not really understanding why these terms are being used. And first of all, why is Pete Hegseth the, the, the cultural beacon on this, first yeah. of all? And I, I watched the whole clip here, and he got a simulated birth, which I think that he thought gave him credibility to talk on this matter. I was like, he didn't even poop his pants. Well, that, he used to be a beacon yeah. on what's going on, Pete. And, Zip and, it. and why, yeah, why are we uh, letting cis hetero white men lead the way to make us understand what the birthing process is to all of us? I think that Pete's tie was a little too tight that day. I'm assuming he got it from the men's warehouse or somewhere, but I think that the pressure went to his head. And let me just say this. You know, tell your mom she's your mom. If she identifies as whatever, tell her happy birthing day. Just don't tell her that she's the reason that you're in therapy. That's the common ground. Actually, I, I, I do the opposite. I tell my dad I'm in therapy <laughs> because of him, and I take that credit card, and I pay for therapy with his credit card. <laughs> you could save that for Father's Day. or You know, and I, I agree with you. I think that they are setting people back. It's about representation, about identity, and you know what? You say whatever you want, whatever feels comfortable to who you are as a human. And, and when will we just stop calling Fox News Channel Fox News? It's, it's not news. It's I don't even know what. It, it's really I to be a fly in the wall in the newsroom when this is what's going on. There was like people that were murdered all over the country. And this I is mean, what they're up in arms about. Yes. Well, we are uh, saying Happy uh, Birthing People's Day. Happy uh, Mother's Day. However you celebrated yesterday, we are sending everyone lots of love. And again, stand-up comedian Nikki Paris will be joining us in the next hour as we continue to look at uh, weird news that went viral this weekend. And check him out, Las Vegas Laugh Factory, end of June. Follow him on social media. It's at Nikki Paris, right? Mm -hmm. Nikki Paris, B-I-T-C-H, rhymes of witch. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, we've got more Pride announcements after this, how you can celebrate with Adam Lambert. That's next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Yes, we are back. Starting this week off with some energy. We got some good music here on Channel Q. We got the info you need to stay up to date on the world and life. And Ryan is out today, but you've got me, Shira, right here on Let's Go There. And it's great to be back because I was out for my birthday Thursday and Friday. So uh, coming up this hour, we're going to be telling you more about Adam Lambert's big pride announcement. I'm so excited we finally have pride announcements. And a lot of them, some of them are offline. We're coming back. But is it going to be the same celebrating pride It's going to be online? Uh, it's going to be both a virtual now. I think we're going to have these hybrid experiences now, which is nice because it's going to make it more accessible to people who can't That's be true. here. I'm just being a hater. I think being out with everyone is just so much better. And it is. It's not going to happen this year, but it could well, happen next year. It is. I well, think. Adam Lambert's event, they are going to be at a, at a venue. Tell me but more. We'll, yes, we'll be telling you in the tea in a moment, producer Vanessa, if you're wondering what that voice is. <laughs> Plus, uh, why many of us are turning to religion in times of crisis. I find this really interesting. I was actually talking to my therapist about um, spirituality today and like what I believe in terms of spirituality. And while I'm a spiritual person, I consider myself one. I didn't actually like really understand what that meant to me. So I'm really interested to have this conversation because I do think having uh, a spiritual religious practice, it is really helpful just for our own survival, you know, in a practical way also more on that in 15 minutes, but let's get into some what's turning this hour. Uh, we spoke about this actually with Lambda Legal earlier in the show. The United States Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra shared a new directive for the LGBTQ plus community in healthcare. Uh, everyone already should know you should not discriminate against people. That includes those based on sexual orientation or gender identity. Uh, and when it comes to health care, we want to make sure that's the case. There was a provision in the Affordable Care Act which said that. And so now it's clear there's no ambiguity. You cannot discriminate against people based on sexual orientation or gender identity. A move. There you go. Early yes, Queen. And uh, President Joe Biden has finally raised the cap on refugee admissions for 2021 to 62,500. But he has made it clear that he doesn't think the U.S. will actually admit that many people. That's because the U.S. has admitted just 2,334 refugees between October 1st, 2020 and April 30th, 2021. Just below 2,500 and our cap is 62,500. Tens of thousands of refugees are still stranded abroad, waiting for the U.S. to get the infrastructure together to scale this up. And it's up to Biden, while he's saying this number, to actually figure out how to fix what's happening, which includes making changes to the Department of Homeland Security. So once again, this is great that he's saying this number, which is an increase from Trump's previous cap of 15,000. But a lot needs to happen to even execute on that. And uh, Pride, as I mentioned, is staging a comeback. Out Loud, Raising Voices, the award-winning artist series, is returning for a three-day concert from June 4th to 6th. And this year, they're partnering with Pride Live's Stonewall Day, a campaign to raise awareness of the Stonewall riots and LGBTQ plus activism in order to raise funds for many charities, including Trans Tech Social and Trans Lash. So they have headliners on Friday, including Sophie Tucker with Daya. Is it Daya? Oh, Zendaya. No, it's not Zendaya. Oh, no. wait. Sorry. 
Jake Wesley Rogers. <laughs> I'm just going to ignore. Yeah, ignore me. <laughs> uh, Kalina Zanders. Uh, Madam Gandhi, who we love here. Um, so many other great names on Friday. Uh, but then on Sun and Saturday, actually, and on Sunday, Stonewall Day, Adam Lambert is actually going to be curating the lineup on behalf of the Feel Something Foundation. And he has uh, folks from Sam Sparrow, Kim Petras, Vincent featuring Parson James, Queen Herbie, and Ty Sunderland. Uh, Angelica Ross is going to be there. So many more. The event will f- be actually free to stream June 4th to 6th, 7 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern each day at twitch.tv slash officially out loud. Tickets can be purchased at Ticketmaster beginning actually today. So go to weareoutloud.com for info and tickets. And that event's going to be happening at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. And actually, our Ryan Mitchell is involved as one of the uh, on-air host MCs. We'll get more details when he's back in the studio. And uh, finally, as we wrap things up, an early Yaz Queen. We have so many good things, which I like to talk. I love that when we have good things to talk about. An early Yaz Queen. And uh, congratulations to Samira Wiley and wife Lauren Morelli, who we've actually had on the show, who have a daughter. The Orange is the New Black Star revealed in a Mother's Day post that the couple welcomed a baby girl named George Elizabeth last month. Yeah, she said, happy first Mother's Day to my beautiful wife, who four weeks ago today, after laboring for almost three days, oh God, uh, gave birth to our first child and wildly expressed how grateful she was for the family's new addition. So congrats to the couple. Oh, they are so adorable. Couple goals. Love those two. Uh, now that was somewhat trending this hour with tea. More coming up in the next hour on Let's Go There. But next up, we're going to be talking about why people become more religious in times of crisis. That is next. Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. During the COVID-19 pandemic, researchers found that online searches for the word prayer soared to their highest level ever in over 90 countries. And a 2020 Pew Research study showed that 24% of U.S. adults said their faith had become stronger during the pandemic. Okay. Well, Danielle Tominio Hansen joins us, who wrote about this topic. Uh, She's a public intellectual Episcopal priest. Thanks so much for being with us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So this is really uh, fascinating. I, I, I'm, I'm really excited to have this conversation. What does this all say, all these numbers, about religion in times of crisis? Well, I think it's tr- showing that people are asking questions about what they believe because the events that they're facing in their lives are causing them to ask those questions. So when we think about COVID as being something that we might say is traumatic for a lot of people. Traumas make people ask questions about what they believe. And so it makes sense that people are then saying, well, what do I believe about my faith and how is my faith helping me or not helping me cope with this trauma? So a lot of people may be reassessing what they believe and strengthening their beliefs or questioning their beliefs because they're faced with a large scale traumatic event like COVID. Is this a healthy way to deal with trauma? Uh, Yeah, like I want to get into this because I feel like after the fact is when after you maybe get on the other side of a trauma is when the real work happens. Uh, But what are your Mm -hmm. thoughts on that? 
Yeah, so that's a great question. So religion can function as a positive coping mechanism or a negative coping mechanism. And that's what psychologists have kind of found from their studies. And they find that certain characteristics of a given spirituality or a given religion are more likely to help people function, um, to use those resources in a positive way to help them cope or a negative way to help them cope. So, you know, an example is um, the idea that God is punishing you. And uh, what researchers have found is that individuals who believe that God punishes them for wrongdoing tend to wind up not feeling um, as healthy. They tend to feel shame and despair. And so that's an example of faith and religion functioning as a negative coping mechanism. But on the flip side, what researchers have found is that Faith and spirituality and religion can help people connect to a sense that something exists that's larger than themselves, that there's a bigger purpose. Um, Prayer has been shown to kind of help the nervous system calm itself. People who are part of faith communities find enormous resources in those connections. And again, it's a sense of transcendence in their community, and those can all be really positive coping mechanisms. So it sort of depends Mm -hmm. on what you believe. Yeah, so where does spirituality play into this in atheism? Because I feel like uh, there's a lot of this new generation doesn't necessarily identify with religion, organized religion, Mm -hmm. but they have faith in something. Yeah, so a lot of um, the most recent studies, say by the Pew Forum, have shown that there's been a really significant decline in participation in um, organized religion, but at the same time, um, a rise in what we call the nuns or people who have a strong sense of spirituality. This is nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S. So a rise in people who have a strong sense in spirituality, but don't feel a connection with an organized religion. And so there hasn't necessarily been a rise in atheism, which you might expect people experience negative things. Maybe it would cause them not to believe in God. That doesn't seem to necessarily be the case. Instead, what we're finding is that people are, um, you know, questioning whether organized religion is, is working for them um, and turning to alternative forms of spirituality or saying I'm spiritual, but not religious. And that existed for several decades prior to COVID that rise in the nuns. Yeah. So as someone, and I'm, I maybe pronounce this wrong because I'm, I blame it on being Jewish, Episcopal Don't priest, you're a, a, as someone who am, is doing this work, this is your life, mm-hmm. like, how do you now approach uh, your, the people that come to you or, you know, g- gather your community if you know that people are maybe not trusting religion as much, but still need support and get to have support? Yeah, that's an, that's an amazing question. So... Um, you know, I, so I'm a, a professor at a seminary that trains people who are going to be hospital chaplains or school chaplains or, um, or ministers in a congregation. And what I teach those students is that the most important thing that you can be um, is present to somebody. That the goal when someone, you know, when you encounter someone in your faith context or at the grocery store, wherever you are um, as a faith leader, what your job is is what you're called to do is to be, um, you know, to, to see the image of God in another human being, to recognize the dignity of every human being. And that's 
that's kind of very much fundamental to my faith, um, and I think to the Jewish faith as well, that humans are made in the image of God. And so, um, you know, so I think that for faith leaders now who are seeing this rise in the nuns, it's a really amazing opportunity to look and say, what does it mean for me to encounter every single, single human being as made in the image of God, even if they're not showing up in my church on Sunday morning, or even if they're not showing up in my synagogue for Shabbat? So, um, you know, the work is still the same work. It just might be taking place in a different context. And, you know, how we communicate and how we participate in people's lives has to be relevant. So if people are saying this isn't relevant, then faith leaders can start to ask some really interesting questions about why while still doing that work of looking for, um, you know, the image of God in every person they encounter. Yeah, it shows we all have to innovate at a certain point because times aren't changing, yeah. right? Uh, well, That's right. <laughs> thank you so much uh, for this. We appreciate you for being here. Of course. Thanks for having me. That was Danielle Timunio Hansen. And you can check out her article in theconversation.com. Do people become more religious in times of crisis? Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Bye-bye. Now coming up, what do you do when you're estranged from your parent on days like Mother's Day or Father's Day coming up? One writer shares her story next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. According to a 2015 study of estrangement between moms and adult children, more than 40% of participants experienced parental estrangement at some point or another. 40%. Another study finds that parental estrangement is a phenomenon nearly as common as divorce. This is part of an essay in Marie Claire by Dr. Christina Wyman, who joins us right now, who always writes this really, these really incredible uh, stories. Uh, that are nonfiction, unfortunately, or fortunately for um, many of us who get to experience them about our own life. Thanks again for being here. Hi, Shira. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for those kind words. Uh, Yes. Love having you on. Um, And you wrote uh, this very personal essay about your experience with your own mom. Why was it important Mm -hmm. to open up now about this? Um, In part because, well, the timing of Things in my own life uh, would have brought this on, but also the timing of my personal life intersects with the fact that we don't really see these stories in the media, right? We, it's sort of taboo. It's stigmatized. Um, you're not going to see a Hallmark commercial that deals with these um, other kinds of relationships that exist around the holiday. And as you just pointed out, they, they exist in, uh, it's almost half, I think. So yeah. there's a really large number of people who, um, who do not have the hallmark relationship, right? So um, I was really motivated to write the piece based on, um, based on that absence, I think. Yeah. And I, I think, and unfortunately, in sharing this, it's so hard and it's traumatic, obviously, but it's making many people feel like they're not alone because of that number. 40%, more than 40% have experienced parental estrangement. And this is actually the first Mother's Day that I even saw. A lot of posts on social media weren't just about Happy Mother's Day. It's all happy, cheery. Mm -hmm. It actually was really acknowledging the other types of experiences that might be had on a day like yesterday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. I've, I've heard from people literally from across the world 
um, after my article was published telling me, you know, just all about their really traumatic and problematic experiences they've had with their own mother and people who are estranged and, and all of this stuff. So, so yeah, I, I agree with you. I haven't, I, I've, I've seen more of the conversation this year, but prior to this year, I didn't really see much of it at all. Yeah, I wonder why that is. Is it because we've done our own introspection maybe over the pandemic? Uh, we're now coming out being more ourselves and sharing our truth and knowing that's part of our power? Mm, I I would speculate well. Um, you know, there's, according to Dr. Romani, the, the um, psychologist that I interviewed for the piece, um, there's a really huge investment in selling a dominant idea of motherhood. And that that idea has it, it, it's had a stranglehold um, ever since Mother's Day was invented. That idea has had a stranglehold on society. So I can only speculate as to why we're only recently seeing a change, uh, more nuance in this conversation. Yeah, she says it's the fetishization of the perfect family. By the way, Dr. Romney, yeah. amazing TED Talk on narcissism. I'm a big fan of hers yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, so I guess what's what's the takeaway from this, and including with Father's Day coming up, advice for those who mm-hmm. might have similar experiences or feelings with their father? Yeah, yeah. I don't... Um I don't have that sort of story to tell. I do expect that we'll probably see something similar around Father's Day. But, you know, as far as a takeaway, um, and I've been thinking about this. I mean, it's. I, I think for me, the takeaway is that Mother's Day, as with any holiday, is a social construction. And if it doesn't work for you, there is no legal requirement that you must participate in the sort of dog and pony show that comes with it. So, you know, I I think the takeaway is going to be different for different people. There are lots of people with wonderful relationships with their mothers. And for them, hopefully the takeaway is that that's not reality for everyone and that there's a little more respect for Mm. people who, um, who haven't been lucky in that way. But then, um, you know, for the people who are in a situation like I'm in or or in their own situations where things are far more complicated and problematic, um, I think the takeaway could just be some, you know, a sense of validation. Like, finally, someone is talking about this in an honest way. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this piece and for always speaking out and being honest. That was Dr. Well, Christina Wyman. Uh, check out her piece in MarieClaire.com. Thank you again for being here. Thanks again. Coming up on the show, Twitter has added a tipping jar. What that means next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Twitter is making it easier to accept donations for your tweets or to send cash to that author whose tweets also made your day. Joining us again is stand-up comedian Nikki Paris. Thanks for playing with us today. Thanks for having me, Shira. You know I just love you. Oh, appreciate it. So, what do you think about this new tip jar on Twitter that helps you make money? Is this something we've all been waiting for? Okay, so I do stand-up a lot on Clubhouse. So Mm -hmm. I actually get 
tipped a lot of money to do stand up for audio to get rejected via audio only. Um, but listen, with Twitter, here's the thing. It's your money. If you want to tip the people you love, go ahead. But I feel like some people on Twitter owe us money. OK, I feel like if you ever tweeted conspiracy theories that COVID is fake, I, you owe us. So I'd like a request option. So, yes, you could be tipped. But if you owe me $15 for the headache you gave me, oh I will be God. collecting it. On that, behalf of the IRS. That is actually really smart. Like, you're annoying. You're a troll. You owe me, right? For, like, ruining my 100%. life. That is amazing. Can you go back you, to, wait, Clubhouse, how you're making money on Clubhouse? Like, they just, they send you money over there? Yeah, so I'm going to plug Leah Lamar, Afternoon Comedy Delight Show. Every day at 12.05, we do stand up and people tip us money uh, through uh, Clubhouse's tip jar or through Venmo, and it really helps a lot because I don't know if you heard my Dogecoin story, but I'm very hungry right now. Of so, course. yes, keep tipping. And tip the arts, but tip smartly, please. And, Shira, how would you feel if this went to Instagram? I mean, it feels like Mark Zuckerberg is too greedy to do this on Instagram. It's like he, he couldn't let go of the control of letting you actually make money easily. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I want to say, though, to some of the people that post really revealing pictures, if I could see a bathing suit photo of you and give you a colonoscopy, you owe me money as well. <laughs> That's exactly what I think about when I post uh, my bathing suit <laughs> pictures. You owe me a copay for, <laughs> <But> like, <laughs> for my... <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think this is, is smart. It's about time. They make it easy. They won't be taking a cut from it. Uh, so are you going to be using something like this? Like, how would you use it? Would you take like a, a, a joke? Like if you uh, tweet someone a joke, they have to pay you a tip or something. How would you do it? Something like that. What I'm thinking about doing is tipping Kylie Jenner and be like, hey, heard you need some money for Shake Shack. <laughs> so I may tip comedically. But yeah, I think a lot of people will be like if they put up videos or if they do, you know, go live, then they'll do it like that. Um, you know, very interesting. We've gotten a lot more uh, chic about how we ask for money, huh? I know. It's true. I mean, at, at what point is it too much? Is it, is there like a point where uh, it's, we're, I don't know, we're like, uh, or asking too much from people? How many places can we all give money to? I, I'm going to tell the, the poor lady on the side of the highway with the sign. I'm going to be like, excuse me, get on Twitter. You'll make a lot more there. Is this what we're coming to? <laughs> Time to innovate. Nikki Paris, as always, <laughs> you are hilarious. We love having you here. I love you. And again, <laughs> Thanks uh, for having me. follow Nikki on social media, on Twitter. Tip him, at Nikki Paris. <laughs> and uh, again, check him out. Las Vegas Laugh Factory, end of June. Be safe while traveling. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Producer Vanessa. This one goes to the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America who made history over the weekend, electing a transgender person as their bishop. Shout out to Reverend Megan Rohr of the Grace Evangelical Lutheran Church in San Francisco. Uh, they became the first ever transgender bishop of a major Christian denomination within the U.S., 
end. They shared it's an honor to be called to serve during this time when some imagine trans people at their worst. Lutherans have once again declared that transgender people are beautiful children of God. And thanks to everyone. So that is huge. Congratulations. And a shout out to high school musical star Joshua Bassett. You might be too old or too young, or maybe you grew up with Joshua, but uh, he came out while answering questions from fans and gushing over Harry Styles because, you know, same. We all do that. Doesn't say too much, but when he talks, like it matters. Does that make sense? He's just cool. Like, he's cool. Who doesn't think Harry Styles is cool? Also, he's hot, you know? He's very charming, too. Lots of things. I guess this is my, um, this is also my coming out video, I guess. Uh... And that was our Yaz Queen of the day. Yaz Queen. We love to hear from you. You can always hit us up at LGT Show on social media to recommend someone for our show, our Yaz Queen of the Day, a story we love to hear from you. Slide into our DMs. Coming up on tomorrow's show, why GLAD is calling out social media companies to do better for the LGBTQ plus community. They have their social media index. They just announced really interesting stuff. Very important. Plus, the unique mental health challenges Asian Americans face and what one group is doing to help. That's tomorrow's show live on Channel Q, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific. 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Let's go there. We're here for you weekdays. And remember, we have a podcast. If you miss any of our shows or our interviews, just go to the Odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. We're sending you love and light. And we'll see you tomorrow. Stick around for Love Line with Dr. Chris, where he's covering what is mental health. That's next.